Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Hey, y'all. Welcome to the Girlfriend's Guide to Sports podcast. I'm your host, Claire Coles. And this is a special bonus episode about the Tour de France called Berets, Baguettes, and Bikes. Oh la la. I have also updated the 2019 blog post for 2022. So let's go over everything you need to know about the race. So we have officially reached that part during the summer that there's just not a lot of sports going on. So what a better time to get you guys acquainted with the Tour de France. So if you have never watched, I'm going to explain it to you slowly. Over 24 days this year from July 1st to the 24th, 176 riders will race over 2,000 miles over a series of stages, 21 to be exact, through mountains, hills, towns, and sprint days. At the end of each stage, every cyclist's individual time is added to his previous stage times. The cyclist with the lowest cumulative time wins the Tour de France and the iconic yellow jersey. There will be 22 teams of eight riders who will be have varying strategies to try and win, as well as 28 riders in the young rider classification this year. There will be six flat stages, seven hilly stages, six mountain stages with five mountaintop finishes, two individual time trial stages, two rest days, and one transfer day. Each stage is given its own points and its own prize money. Also, if you finish first through third in a stage, you get a time bonus of 10, 6, or 4 seconds, respectively, obviously, first through third. Stage one this year started in Copenhagen, and you are not crazy. That is not France. That is in the Netherlands. So, but very different to start somewhere else. Um, the route actually changes every year, but the end is always the same. Stage 21 will always end on the Champs-Élysées. 
Rest days this year are July 11th, July 26th, and the transfer day was July 4th, which was so nice for them to throw that in there for us Americans on our day. So who is in the lead? There are a, There is a link on the blog to updated current standings, but right now it is Belgian cyclist Ut Van Aert, and it is stage six today. Now, Julian and Philippe, a two-time winner of the Tour de France, and Mark Cavendish, who is tied for the record number of stage wins, will both be absent from the race this year. Julian is recovering from a crash two months ago, and Mark did not make the cut. So a little bit interesting, and I know I went over that, I believe, last week in the weekly update. So who's supposed to win? The 109th Tour de France is supposed to be a showdown between Tade Pogacar and Primoz Roglic. Both are Slovenian. But if you're thinking, okay, so we're guaranteed to have a Slovenian winner, that is not always the case as there is always surprises. Pogacar is two-time reigning Tour de France winner, while Roglic came in fourth last year, but seems to be the best person to unseat his compatriot. The Tour de France will be televised every day on USA live at 7 a.m. Central. And every year, the Tour de France has about 3.5 billion, with a B, views. Now, granted, that's over the 21 to 24-ish days, which is similar to a figure of the World Cup. The, to put that in perspective, the most viewed Super Bowl has had 112 million people watching. So there's a lot of eyes on the Tour de France. So let's go over how hard is the course really. So this year's course is 2,081 miles, and you better wear those padded shorts because every stage is usually about five and a half hours or 230 kilometers. Riders average about 25 miles per hour over the course as a whole. Now, the longest Tour de France of all time was 3,570 miles, but that was back in 1926. The group of riders will go through 790 tires over the entirety of the race. Four cyclists have died during the race, most recently in 1995. That does not count spectators. That is just cyclists. Now, in 1919, only 10 cyclists finished the race, which still holds the record for the least amount of finishers. This year's race will span four different countries, Denmark, Belgium, Switzerland, and France. Nine new cities host at least a part of a stage this year, and the Tour de France actually started on a Friday, which is very unusual. It usually starts on a Saturday. The time trials are often called the race of truth, as there is no hiding from the clock. So for an individual time trial, which this year we have two, riders start at different intervals and race through a much shorter course than that is added to their overall time. Now, there are years that we have a team time trial. This year is not one of them. But for the team time trial, the first four, remember I said teams are usually of eight, but the first four from a team get the fourth riders time added to their overall time all others from the team so that last four in the team will get their own time added to their cumulative race time so if you get fifth on your team but you were close behind the fourth guy that's not a huge deal but if you're the eighth guy on your team to cross the line and multiple minutes after your team that can mess up your overall race place 
If you do not finish a time trial in the time limit in either individual or team, you are eliminated from the entire Tour de France. Most racers do not actually rest on rest days. The cyclists usually still ride for about two hours just to flush out the lactic acid in their legs and just kind of reset their system. Now, this year, we've got some notable stages. The Grand Depart is the, always the beginning, one of the most prestigious uh, stages of the whole entire race. And this year, it begins in Copenhagen. This is not the first time that the Tour de France has not started in France. In fact, this is the 24th time, and the 25th will be next year, and we will start in Spain. Stage 5 also sees the return of what's called the cobbles, a.k.a. 19 kilometers over cobblestone streets. And then, of course, the final stage, the Champs-Élysées. That has been the finishing stage since 1975. Oh, just if you want to watch the Tour de France, there are so many different jerseys. So let's go over a little bit of those and what they mean. So obviously all teams wear matching jerseys, but certain colors mean certain things and are very prestigious. So let's start with the main one. We, I know you, I know you know because you listened to the Masters update that I gave this year. But so just like the Masters green jacket, we have the yellow jersey of the Tour de France, also called La Melo Jean. This is worn by the rider with the lowest cumulative time in the race so far under the general classification. I'll get into what that means here in a second. Keep in mind that the guy in the yellow jersey may not be the same guy who won the last stage. And the overall winner may never wear the yellow jersey after any stage. Think of this guy as the race leader and the guy you want to beat every day. Now, if you've seen photo ops with the rider in the yellow jersey it, with a stuffed lion, that is actually the symbol of Credit Lyonnaise, the bike that actually sponsored the yellow jersey since 1987. The first Tour de France was competed in 1903. However, it took till 1919 to award the first Melogène or yellow jersey. So actually in 2019, there was the 100th anniversary of the first yellow jersey ever. Moving on to the next jersey, the polka dot jersey. This is worn by the rider who has the most climbing points, a.k.a king of the mountains. So climbing points are given to the first 10 riders to reach the top of each climb. Climbs are categorized by steepness and length, and the higher the difficulty, the more points you get. The green jersey, like the green jacket, <laughs> is worn by the rider who is winning the points classification. Usually this means a sprinter. Points are given to the first 15 riders to cross a predetermined sprint point during the stage. This is usually around halfway, as well as the first 15 riders to finish the stage. Now, flat stages win the most points, as it's most likely a sprinter will win that classification. And why do we go with the green color? Because the classification was first sponsored by a lawnmower producer. There's also the white jersey. It is worn by the rider with the fastest cumulative time under the age of 26. Now, before the last two years, or last three years, really, this was only done by four people. However, Egan Bernal, and now, of course, Tade Paracha, who won the last two Tour de France overall, also claimed the white jersey. It can be the same person. 
Other notable colors you may see white numbers on a red background is the most combative rider. This is usually determined by a jury after the stage is completed and will be worn the next day. Things the jury takes into consideration is time spent in breakaways, number of attacks on the leaders, that type of thing. The rainbow stripes on white is worn by the world champion. Sometimes, again, the same person as the current leader, but that's just something that if it's not, there's another jersey for you as well. Jerseys with national colors are often worn by the champions of their individual countries as well. And then the one that you don't want, the Lanterne Rouge, which translates to red light. The rider who is in last sometimes even carries a small red light on his saddle. It's called the Lanterne Rouge because it is the red light that follows basically behind the car. It's the brake light. So that is uh, definitely not the jersey <laughs> you want to be wearing. So if you want a yellow jersey, who should you hit up? So reigning champ Slovenian Tade Podacar is on t- Team UAE Emirates. The winner of each classification gets 500,000 euros and the 4.3 million dollars is the purse that goes out to stage winners, classification winners and all of that. There is actually a four-way tie between the most wins of the Tour de France at 5 between Jacques Antillier, Eddie Merricks, Bernard Hinault and Miguel Indurain. Obviously, as Americans, we all remember Lance Armstrong, who won the Tour de France seven times from 1999 to 2005. However, those years declare no winner to this day, and I will obviously get into why later in the podcast. Only one other American has won the Tour de France, Greg LeMond, and he did it three times. There will be seven Americans in this year's Tour de France, and they seem to be on the younger side. It also took eight years from the first race to have a non-French winner, and it was a Luxembourg person. Other countries with winners are Great Britain, Italy, Australia, Luxembourg, Spain, Germany, Denmark, the United States, Ireland, Netherlands, Belgium, Switzerland, Colombia, and Slovenia. The most stage wins in a single Tour de France is eight by three different riders, but the most stages ever won is held by Eddie Merricks and British Mark Cavendish with 34. He has spent the most days wearing the yellow jersey at 96. Again, very important that he's not here because he could have actually tried to break Eddie Merricks' record. 18 appearances is the most ever by one cyclist, Sylvain Cavanel, again a Frenchman. The youngest winner is 19 years old. That was back in 1904. And the youngest stage winner is also 19, but that was in 1931. The oldest winner is 32, and that was in 1922. So if you are thinking about competing and you're over the age of 32, you have obviously an uphill battle. The smallest margin of victory ever in a Tour de France was in 1989 and by eight seconds. So over 21 stages and 24 days to only win by eight seconds really to only lose by eight seconds is horrible two times in history the winner has never won the yellow jersey until the very end of the race that was in 1947 and 1968 in contrast to that four cyclists have won wire to wire and never given up the yellow jersey at all 
The Tour de France was not competed during World War I from 1915 to 1919, and again for World War II from 1940 to 46. However, it did continue through COVID, which is a freaking miracle. So I know I've mentioned golf a couple of times already in this podcast, so let's go ahead and keep that train rolling and say, move over, golf, because we found a new gentleman's sport. Lots of people don't know that cycling actually has much more etiquette involved than it first appears. So obviously, we talked about different teams have different strategies. Usually, the team has one signature rider, and the other riders actually protect him. They set the pace. They run down lead groups for him and all of that. So usually, there's one main guy that you're trying to bet that he can win the Tour de France. Most riders are in the main pack are okay to let the lead group or the peloton get about five to 10 minutes ahead because that group usually gets tired and falls back before the end of the stage. So the lead group is called the peloton. That is actually where Peloton, the bike company, got its name. If a crash takes out riders within the last three kilometers of a flat stage, then riders can be awarded the same time as the rest of the peloton. This is, all, this is called the three-kilometer rule. This is not always, though, as the course regulator suggestion is taken into account on the crash. After a crash, it is not unusual to see the group slow down to allow others to catch back up after a crash or a puncture. Although the classification lead is still to be contended, there is usually a gentleman's agreement not to challenge for it during the final stage down the Champs-Élysées. And then as a competitor myself, why the hell would you allow that as a competitor? Because by the time in the race, the leader is usually enough time built ahead into his cumulative race time that he just cannot be caught. This final stage is usually the easiest stage also, Thus, without extenuating circumstances taking out the leader, there's no point trying to beat him for it. This stage is more about aesthetics and actually celebrating the sport. Back in the day, the actual leader was given a glass of champagne in their hand during the entirety of the final stage. It is customary to honor the leader or someone else who has a great achievement by letting them enter the Champs-Élysées in first place. For example, in 2012, American George Hincapie was given this honor as it was his final, the 17th Tour de France. At this time, that was a record amount of Tour de France ever competed in, and right now the record is 18. And last but certainly not least, and maybe most generous, the winner usually shares his $600,000 prize evenly between his teammates. Again, because the team does actually put forward one biker the whole time, so usually he goes ahead and splits the prize money. Okay, so that's all dandy, but let's go ahead and talk about those dirty details, because not everyone can, quote, hold it when they're on a bike for five and a half hours, but you also don't see the riders stop and use toilets or anything, so how on earth does that happen? So, yep, it's true. Some riders do just go to the bathroom on their bikes and do not stop. Understandably, other riders do not overtake them while they do that. Ew. Other times, the group of riders will agree to stop in an area with no spectators, and the TV cameras will cut away to a cute animal or pretty flowers or some local architecture during those moments. 
The riders will also eat and drink on the bike. There are feeding stations where a support staffer from their team will hand them a bag of food, gels, energy bars, whatever it may be. Over the entirety of the race, racers will burn about 123,000 calories. So I think we all can remember those live strong yellow bracelets. And so we as Americans cannot talk about the Tour de France without talking about Lance Armstrong. So let me remind you what happened. When most of us hear cycling or doping, really, we think of Lance Armstrong. He was by far the most popular and the most successful in the Tour de France, having won seven consecutive tours before he was banned. One month after his seventh tour win, Armstrong was featured in an article showing proof that he had used EPO and tested positive for hormones, although below the DQ threshold. In January of 2013, however, Lance Armstrong admitted to Oprah Winfrey that he had been doping despite fighting those claims in the past. So how early did cheating start in the Tour de France? It has been a rampant thing since the very first tour in 1903. Everyone's been trying to cheat. In the early years, riders would drink alcohol to dull the pain or use ether, which was a general anesthetic. Other early tactics included amphetamine. This would increase concentration, muscle endurance, and delay onset fatigue, as well as increase muscle strength. They also would use cocaine, chloroform, or horse ointment. Alcohol was finally banned in the 1960s as it was considered a stimulant. In just the second year of it ever being competed, the Tour de France was already plagued by a cheating scandal when supposed winner Maurice Guerin was caught taking a train during the Alps part of the race. Another rider tried a, tied a cork to a string and put it in his mouth and had the car drag him up the mountains. So when did things really start to change? Doping really came to a head in the 1998, quote, tour of shame is what it was called, a.k.a. the tour de farce, when an assistant of the Festina team was arrested with EPO, growth hormones, and testosterone. This team was later found guilty of organized doping among the TVM team. Only 96 riders finished the race that year, and of that, 50 riders have now been confirmed to either fail an EPO test or admit to doping. There is also a hilarious satire about doping in cycling. It's obviously very inappropriate and not suitable for all ages, as it is HBO, but it's very funny, and it kind of gets the point across on how rampant cheating has been over the history of the Tour de France. I hate to end it on a cheating note, but hopefully you'll understand a little bit more when you decide to watch the stages. Again, they'll be on every day on USA at 7 a.m. Please check it out. These guys train sometimes their entire lives for this moment, and we don't have a whole lot going on in that sports world right now. So if not, I will catch y'all on Monday for the weekly update.